I don't know. <laughs> Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. Okay, it is Christmas in Cozy Corner and around the world. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up and get ready to howl at the moon. It is time for the Late Night Fright with Dan and Faith right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Tonight, we have the classic 1988 Bruce Willis action film, Die Get ready to yippee You are cordially invited to the Nakatome Christmas Party with Dan and Faith right here on the Late Night Fright on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Ow! some more FBI guys, I guess. Welcome to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you out there, wherever you may be. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my very Yippie Kaye co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Yippie Kaye. <laughs> I had a feeling that's what you were going with. Oh, well, there's nothing else you can go ah, with. Nothing I know. Else. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, too. And again, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of you out there, however you celebrate. And Happy Hanukkah and, and, and Merry Kwanzaa. Is it Merry Kwanzaa or Happy Happy Kwanzaa? I think it's Happy Kwanzaa. We're going with Happy Kwanzaa. I'm so not sure. However you celebrate... Um, Many happy returns to you and a very happy new year. Uh, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a return listener, we certainly appreciate your continued support. I think we have a good one tonight, Faith. Now, we are the Late Night Fright. We do horror movies on this show. Now we do uh, some classic sci-fi every now and then in the TV episodes. And uh, we've done some non-traditional horror films we're, we're not doing a horror <laughs> film tonight, are we? No, we're not. Faith, what are we doing tonight? <laughs> we are doing Die Hard. 1988's Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. This movie stars a gentleman named Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Alexander Gudnoff is in this movie. <laughs> Bonnie Bedelia is in this movie. Reginald Vell Johnson. Carl Winslow. <laughs> TV's Carl Winslow is in this movie. And there's a gentleman. This, was, this is the movie that made him a movie star. I can't, I can't recall his name. It's like Bruce. Walter. Williams. Walter Bruce. Walter Something. Bruce Willis. That, that might be it. Walter Bruce Willis <laughs> Jr. There he is. This is the movie that indeed made Bruce Willis a movie star and helped him transition from the small screen to the big screen. Why are we doing this movie tonight, Faith? There's there's really two reasons why we're doing this movie. Because the movie is awesome and it's like the one of the best Christmas movies. <laughs> there it is. There it is. So this is uh, one of the movies we're doing during our Christmas week here on the Late Night Fright. If you would like to hear more about a proper horror movie, we have an episode that is out about Black <laughs> Christmas. But we are going to be talking about Die Hard tonight. Die Hard, 
And she said, this is a Christmas movie. This is one of the most influential action movies ever made. Not only is it one of the most influential action movies, this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest <laughs> action movie ever made. Exactly. And one of the greatest movies ever made. You nailed it. I did. Yeah. So we, uh, before we get into Die Hard and into the news, we had a uh, very nice treat over the weekend. The gods of comedy bestowed upon us a gift, and that gift was Eddie Murphy <laughs> returned to Saturday Night Live for the first time in 35 years, I believe. That's now, crazy. Five years ago, he popped up on the 40th anniversary special. He walked out and did a little bit, but it wasn't anything right. you know, huge. No, he came back. He came back and hosted. You and I both watched the show. It's still very fresh in our minds. Yes. What did you think about Eddie's big return to Aww. Saturday Night Live? He, he's so funny. There's there's not enough I can say about how great and how funny he is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to give uh, a little bit of recognition to the show. Now, I'm not a huge fan of this show. I, I am a huge fan of classic Saturday Night Live. I was very lucky because I grew up during like the, the second renaissance of Saturday Night Live because they had that first cast with Aykroyd, Belushi, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, Chevy Chase, you know, those mm -hmm. those luminaries. And the show kind of fell off a little bit. Eddie came in in 81 or 82, saved the show, really. We, we still have this show because Eddie saved mm -hmm. it. And then in 86, though, then we got Dana Carvey and, you know, Mike Myers and Phil Hartman in that group. So that's the group I grew up watching. I was very lucky, though, because they would replay old Saturday Night Live. So I was watching not only what was new then, I was watching, you know, Belushi right. and Murray and all these guys and Eddie Murphy. And I was very fortunate, you know, I think to get, you know, to absorb mm -hmm. a lot of that. The show has really fallen off for me recently. I feel that the show is entirely too political. Mm -hmm. Uh, Saturday Night Live has a wonderful history of political humor. I mean, that's something that they've yeah. always done. And I feel like they've always been equal opportunity offenders on that show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, yeah. and, it's, and it's always been funny. And I don't care if it's somebody I'm supporting. Um, if they make fun of somebody as funny, I'm going to yeah, laugh. Exactly. I, I don't, you know, I don't wear my heart on my sleeve with that stuff. Right. I, I, I feel, though, that in the past few years, and, and maybe you agree with me here, maybe you don't. I feel that the show has gotten extremely too political. I feel that it shows a bias. Mm -hmm. I feel that uh, that show has Trump derangement syndrome running all through it. And uh, I just I, and I don't care if you like Donald Trump or don't like Donald Trump. Right. I think it just has to get old. Right. After a while. You feel like it kind of just kind of that kind of took over the whole show. Right. Uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. You know, a few years ago, they were singing an impeachment song, mm -hmm. you know, about it. What should that tell you about, you know, the, the machinations of things? <laughs> but um, anyway, I just feel like I feel like they, they tipped their hand. I don't want to know how you feel about something. I just want to laugh, you know, at, mm -hmm, right, at, exactly. thing, you know, at both sides and both sides are, are equally there to be made fun of. So I'm going to give the show some props. They did the Democratic debate at the beginning of the show. That was about an eight to 10 minute segment. That was fine. They had a whole bunch of old cast members back, you know, and, and you know, and they did actually make some fun of those people for the most part. And uh, but that was all the politics that you got, you know, the real kind of heavy handed mm -hmm. politics. And it was like, OK, that's done. Then Eddie comes on and it was just funny. <laughs> it was. You know, it was just really, really funny. Um, I I think Eddie is funny from his head to his toes and he's, <laughs> and he's naturally funny. He really is. And how did you like seeing these old characters that he did? You know, cause he brought back 
everything that he did on that show. I loved it. I think it, it made the show seem so, like you said, funny and fresh and different. And it was just so nice to see him on there. It really was. And he hasn't missed uh, a beat. I know. <laughs> you know, he's still just as funny as he was when he when he showed up 30, 30 <laughs> some odd years ago. And uh, he's, he's about to be 60. He's close to 60. And... Um, it's amazing. Now, I was reading 2020 is going to be a very big year for Eddie Murphy. He is going to be releasing Coming to America 2. Mm-hmm. He is going to be releasing Beverly Hills Cop 4 on Netflix. And we're going to be getting another gift, hopefully, next year. He is going to be doing stand-up again, and hopefully we will oh, get nice. a stand-up special. Now, that special will, from what I read, be on Netflix. How great is this? It's kind of this renaissance of Eddie Murphy. And... We talked about Dolomite is my name on this show. That episode's available among our many other episodes <laughs> that are available wherever you find podcasts. Um, it, he is nominated for a Golden Globe, and he is one of the front runners to win the mm-hmm. Best Actor Oscar this year for playing Rudy and, Ray Moore. And he deserves it. And he does. He does. Yes, he does. And uh, also another little bit of news, the Golden Globe nominations came out. And, and we've said this on the show before. We're not huge fans of awards Mm -hmm. it is nice though when certain people get recognized and the supporting actor cast this year is so stacked and some of our favorites are in this and uh we just want to say that brad pitt playing cliff booth in the quentin tarantino movie once upon a time in hollywood has been nominated for best supporting actor and he's one of the front runners to get not only an oscar nomination but an oscar win and i think he uh i think he's very Deserving. Could you imagine if Eddie Murphy and Brad Pitt won Oscars in the same year together? What year together? is this? <laughs> is it? Wouldn't that be amazing? These yes. are these are two guys that I I really really admire, and um, it's great to see Eddie back. And uh, how funny! Really, how funny was he? he I'm, I'm sitting over here thinking about some of the stuff from yeah. the show, and I'm he, laughing. He brought back uh, Gumby. He brought back <laughs> Mr. Robinson. And my sister and I watched the show together, and she said the thing that was she was really loving was how organically they brought back the characters. Like mm-hmm. Mr. Robinson was talking about gentrification in New York, <laughs> which was funny. Um, they did a really funny uh, baking show sketch, yes. which which was nice. Uh, Gumby appeared on the news. Uh, Velvet Jones uh, appeared on Black <laughs> Jeopardy, and Black Jeopardy is one of my favorite things that they've done over the past few years. And as many problems as I've had with the show, and not mm-hmm. not just the political stuff, you know, whatever. I, I just think it's it's poor writing sometimes. Yeah. I just don't find it, even the stuff that's not political, very funny. Right. The Black Jeopardy stuff has always hit me right. Yeah, you it know? is really funny. It, 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 and a lot of it is just so true. That's the thing yeah. that's so funny about that. And he, so he was on Black Jeopardy, and uh, he brought back Buckwheat on The Masked Singer. That was what my sister really liked was, well, how nice that they—that's how they got him on the show because that's current and, and mm-hmm. you know and uh, and I just have to say a uh, special mention to Buckwheat for nailing the Spanish lyrics <laughs> in Feliz Navidad or Hamim Navidad or as, as he <laughs> called it. But uh, my favorite skit of the night was the uh, tragedy in the North Pole where the polar bears had eaten the elves working in Santa's workshop, and he played the elf named Kittle Diddles. <laughs> Who saw everything? And how funny was that? The the way that was a takeoff on on news eyewitnesses, you know, and, and all this. And 
conspiracy so theories and all that. <laughs> so anyway, Eddie Murphy uh, hosted Saturday Night Live. Most of the skits are available on YouTube if you missed the show. And it's really, really funny. And it's worth taking a few minutes and watching and uh, going back and looking back at some of his classic catalog. So well, enough with the funny stuff. <laughs> Enough with the funny stuff. Faith, what are we talking about again tonight? Die Hard. Die Hard from 1988. But you know what? We can't talk about Die Hard from 1988 without a little bit of business first. Right, Faith? What time is it? It's time for the news. Time for the news. Impeachment is the word in Cozy Corner. Mayor Lucius Morningstar, mayor of Cozy Corner and a founding member of the Cozy Corner Society of Dark Wizards, has been impeached for casting spells for personal gain. In a poll conducted by the Late Night Fright, residents of Cozy Corner are indifferent to impeachment. Most people either don't know what it is or they don't care. When asked about peach ice cream, the decision was unanimous. Peach ice cream is delicious. It really is. It really is. It really is. Well, Faith... PC cancel culture has claimed another victim. You know what PC cancel culture is, don't you? Mm -hmm. Canadian rock band Bare Naked Ladies are the latest victims to be sacrificed on the altar of political correctness. Cozy Corner lawyer Gwenny Goop filed a lawsuit against them, claiming the band's name is sexist. From now on, the band formerly known as the Bare Naked Ladies will be known as the fully clothed and stunningly brave Sheroes. Interesting. That doesn't roll off the tongue, but... No. Yes. Tiny Tito, Cozy Corner's favorite resident toddler, recently successfully completed potty training. Tidy Tito... Tidy. He's tidy now. He is? Well, he is he's tidy. He's tidy and he's tiny. He made the initial announcement about, quote, making stinky poo in the toity, unquote, at the Cozy Corner supermarket, but has repeated it to anyone who will listen. Tiny Tito has successfully pooped at Cozy Lanes, the Loki, the Loki, what is wrong with me? (laughs) The local bowling alley and at several other venues throughout town. He did have an incident in the car on the way to his grandmother's. Tiny Tito said, no car, toity, no place to poop. Truer words have never (laughs) been spoken. I was at the library and he came up to me and told me that he had been making poopy. I love Tiny Tito. (laughs) He's precious. He really is. Faith, it's Christmas. We issued an ultimatum a while back. We've been doing this show for 10 months now. Yes. We're coming up on a year. We've been asking. We've been pleading. <laughs> we have offered gifts. We've offered tribute. We've offered tribute. There's a man who means the world to us. It's one of the reasons we started doing this show. And, yes. And he, we've, we've put the invite out there, but he has not taken us up on it yet. And Faith, who is that man? Robert England. Robert England. Fred Krueger. Freddy Krueger. Occasionally called Roberto Inglando yes. on this show. Uh, we've made our pitch, you know, and and he's kind of a Christmas character. He's got the red and green sweater, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, you know he's yeah. a lot less attractive than Santa. But <laughs> anyway, um, Robert, we love you. We, we would love for you to come on the show. You Now, the, the invite is still open. We're just not going to be begging and pleading with you here on the show. So if you come on the show, Robert, I... We'll see to it that my mother makes her amazing fig cookies and that you get some. They are amazing. They I are will. amazing. I They're really good with coffee. I'll, I'll make the coffee for you and we'll, and we'll hook you up with some fig cookies. But but we're not going to ask anymore after this. No. This is it. This is it. Who are we going after next? 
That's to be determined, but I'm leaning Jamie Lee Curtis right now. I'm okay with that. I'm leaning Jamie Lee. She's such a special woman to I know. me. That rhymes. Might be part of our new song. So so here you go, quite possibly for the last time here on oh, the Late no. Night Fright. Robert, please come on the show. And that is the news. Well, there it is, possibly, maybe, possibly for the last time here on the show, Faith. I hope not. What, what a disappointment. You know, he, he has, just hasn't come on the show. I was expecting a Christmas miracle. I guess he's busy, you know. Yeah. You know, he is a lot like Santa. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. <laughs> exactly. But he'll kill you, for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah, pretty much. There it is. <laughs> so we are talking about the 1988 John McTiernan-directed film Die Hard Tonight, starring Bruce Willis. We are going to take a break, but I am happy to say... Our first commercial break, back by popular demand at the Cozy Corner Playhouse. They are doing a production of Die Hard. And guess what, Faith? What? We have a radio bumper for it. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. awesome. They did this, uh, they did this back in May mm-hmm. when we did our Sixth Sense episode. But uh, they're doing it again, and we just happen to have the bumper. That's awesome. So, so we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we are going to be yippee ki and all over this room. <laughs> I am Dan. And I am Faith. We'll see you on the other side. Cozy Corner Community Playhouse proudly presents a production of Die Hard, starring Todd Wick as John McClane and Shasta Wick as Holly Gennaro McClane. Oh, baby, I got a six-month backlog of scumbags in New York City, and you just up and took the kids because, what, you got a new job? Well, if you would have come out to Los Angeles with me, we would be having this fight. Hey, you got a place I can put this bear? It's a big bear I bought it for my baby girl. Also starring Antoine Duplay as Hans Gruber. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, due to the Nakatomi Corporation's legacy of greed around the world, they're about to be taught a lesson in the real youth of power. You shall be witnesses, Gruber out. Oh, you're a trash terrorist. I hate you're a trash terrorist. You better put some shoes on. Relive all of the thrills and excitement of the greatest action movie ever made now on stage at the Cozy Corner Community Playhouse. Also starring Bobby, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright as Sergeant Al Powell. Yeah, so like, uh, what do I call you, cowboy? Because, I mean, I'm down here, I'm trying to eat this Twinkie. I mean, it's delicious. Call me Roy. Yeah, Roy. John Wayne and Grace Kelly do not get to walk off into the sunset, cowboy. It was Gary Cooper, a-hole. Also starring Dan, 
host of the Late Night Fright, as Ellis, Holly Gennaro McLean's coke-snorting co-worker. What'd you tell him, Ellis? I told him we were old friends, and, you know, that, you know, we met at the party, and... Hey, Hans, Booby, this is... Hey, this is radio, Hans. Ow, damn it! I'm bleeding. Weren't those supposed to be blanks? Welcome to the party, pal! Yeah, like LA's finest to want it, so you don't like light them if you got them. Yeah, I, I prefer the vape. Hey, man, what's in these Twinkies? Yeah, uh, sugar enriched flour, like uh, partially hydrogenated uh, vegetable oil, polysorbate 60, and you know, yellow dye number five, just everything a grown boy needs. You'll be enraptured at Music Guy's rendition of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. La 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 also starring Greg Hufflepoint, better known as Lothar, as Richard Dick Thornburg. Uh, this could be the last Christmas that these kids have to talk to their parents. And don't call me Dick. With Faith, host of The Late Night Fright, as Lucy Gennaro McLean. Come home. I love my baby girl. With Dan's mom as FBI Special Agent Big Johnson. Who we? It's just like Saigon. And Dan's aunt as FBI Special Agent Little Johnson. I was in junior high, D-head. Also starring Bobby's good friend Robbie as Carl, Hans Gruber's right-hand man. I also wish for the release of the nine members of the Asian Dawn. Asian Dawn? Where'd you read about those guys? The time? With three-time intercoastal surf champion Moondog Riley as Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson. I've got a bunch of people covered in glass down here. I'm not the one that just got BF'd on national TV, Dwayne. Die Hard, a production of the Cozy Corner Community Playhouse. John! Holly! Twelve terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McClane. That's just the way he likes it. Die Hard, 40 stories of sheer adventure. yippee ki yay Die Hard, only at the Cozy Corner Community Playhouse. Die Hard! Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays again to all of you out there. Faith, we're here to talk about a movie that really, I mean, what can you say about this movie? Oh, there are not enough words. There's not enough words. We're going to try and find them tonight, though. <laughs> We're talking about 1988's Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. And Faith, a lot of the creative team uh, behind Die Hard was behind Predator from 1987 that starred Arnold Schwarzenegger. You and I uh, did a show on that episode, mm-hmm. did an episode on that movie, I should say. <laughs> Eggnog's kicking in. 
Um, We both really liked Predator, and we had a lot of nice things to say about John McTiernan and the way that he directed that film. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of nice things to say tonight about the way that he directed (laughs) Die Hard. So I have horrible things to say. Or we could have horrible things to say about him. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about action movies. Uh, Last week, we did Sweeney Todd, and that was a lot of fun because that was a musical. So we got to stretch a little bit and get out of just a straight horror uh, film. Now, mm-hmm. this isn't a horror film. This is a straight action film with uh, some some dramatic elements to it and a lot of fun comedic elements, too, although yes. not technically a comedy or a drama. This right. is a straight action film. Um, action films in the 80s. OK, so the action film goes way back, you know, and it and it has evolved over the years. Now, what you had for my money Starting really with guys like uh, Steve McQueen with a movie called Bullet from 1968. That's kind of, for me, the granddaddy of modern action films. This movie like Bullet. Mm -hmm. Then you get into police procedural dramas, uh, dramas and action films like Dirty Harry starring Clint Eastwood. You get into Charles Bronson's filmography. Then you get into, you know, there's the Kung Fu movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the, the big spectacle that Die Hard is here this was a first and it became it becomes a genre unto itself because after die hard then you can say well this is die hard on a boat this is die hard on a bus okay (laughs) so those movies i just mentioned are under siege and speed (laughs) um this is uh die hard on a train that's under siege two this is uh die hard on air force one that's harrison ford and air force one so (laughs) it becomes a genre unto itself you know so you had action movies before, but then this comes along and really redefines the genre and ups the stakes for it and, as I said, becomes its own its own thing. Mm-hmm. But action movies in the 80s, uh, why this movie is so important, uh, the two big action stars of the 80s, we both love these guys. I'm smiling at you because I know you know who <laughs> these guys are. Who are the two big action stars in the 80s? I'm thinking Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger. And who's the other guy? Um... My mind just went completely blank. The heavyweight blank. champion of the world. I know. My mind literally just went blank. Oh, come on. Philadelphia's favorite I know. My thing. mind literally just went blank. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. There he is. <laughs> I just wanted to call him Rocky the whole time. I'm like, what's I his real that, name? I think that's acceptable. Does Rob does that, does I that count? I think it's acceptable. I think he... <laughs> I do think he has it uh, in his contract that he answers to uh, okay. that. I think, I think he does. <laughs> so those those were the two big action right. guys in the 80s. Now, you still had people like Clint Eastwood were making movies. They were getting older, though. Charles mm-hmm. Bronson still was was pumping out some movies. Uh, Chuck Norris, you know, was doing his thing. But, mm-hmm. but the two big box office marquee names were Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Now, let's talk about these two guys. What do you think of when you think of Stallone and Schwarzenegger? Man. There's something that really joins these two guys yeah. together. I mean, yeah, power, strength, I mean, they're big muscles. <laughs> there it is. There it is. They're not every men. No. You know, they're not uh they, they, you don't see these guys walking down the street, you know. Yeah. John Milius, the film director and and screenwriter, said of Arnold Schwarzenegger that if we didn't have Arnold, we'd have had to have built him. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) Stallone's a lot the same way. Uh, Stallone was training Mr. Olympia style training programs. I mean, when you look at him and especially in those early Rambo movies, especially the second one from 85, just how ripped and cut he was. And uh, and and I'm not talking disparagingly about those guys. I love these guys. But we have to put Die Hard into the proper historical context. Mm -hmm. 
because this movie doesn't have Stallone or Schwarzenegger in it. Now, they were both offered this movie and turned it down. In fact, at one point, Die Hard was going to be a sequel of sorts to Arnold's uh, 1985 film Commando. But it that did not pan out. And when he, he declined, they went in, right. went in a different direction. They went through a lot of guys before they got to who they got to here in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean... It, we were talking about Sweeney Todd, and and you had that list of names. You remember yeah, that list of names? Very long list of names. Do you remember some of those names? Harrison Ford, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Uh, the, there was a man. That was a long list. It was a long list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that list that you mentioned in Sweeney Todd. That's basically the same list that uh, applied to to the character of wow. John McClane. Here hmm. and uh, Richard Gere was rumored at one point, uh, and you have to understand Bruce Willis. Was he was not a nobody, but he was a TV somebody. He had dipped his toe into features, but hadn't really had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. He was the guy on Moonlighting on TV, okay. Mm-hmm. And his contract for this movie, I think he made five million dollars for this movie, like broke all of these records. This was the biggest movie, <laughs> you know, contract, you know, in wow. history up to this point. <laughs> it was a big deal. I mean, and um, but what you have here with Bruce Willis is the everyman. This is yeah. this is not somebody you know ripped. Exactly. You know he's in he's he's fit. Right. He's in shape, right. but he's not a cartoon character. And this just changed so much. Yeah. It really really changed so much, and it, it really ushered did. it ushered in kind of the end of that Stallone Schwarzenegger action picture, mm-hmm. and and we start gearing more toward die hard on a on a bus die hard on a plane but you have that every guy and then this movie paves the way for guys like nicholas cage keanu reeves those kind of guys to really become you know action stars exactly you know, it all it all goes to bruce willis mm-hmm. you know here in die hard and i think it's a great uh, casting choice that they made and we're going to get so into too. get into john mcclain and why bruce willis works so well in this and i know you're going to have a lot to say about <laughs> Bruce Willis as John McClane. But before we can talk about Bruce Willis, we need to talk about Frank Sinatra. Okay. <laughs> of all people. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. Are you ready to come fly with me? Yes. Come fly with me. It's, and we're not talking about him, you know, uh, coming, f- going fly with him because John McClane hates to fly in this movie. So this book is based on, this movie is based on a book called Nothing Else Matters by a gentleman named Roderick Thorpe. Roderick Thorpe wrote a book called The Detective in the 60s. That was turned into a movie of the same name, starring Frank Sinatra. Because it was in this shared universe of the Roderick Thorpe uh, novels, and the uh, Nothing Else Matters was a direct sequel to The Detective. So Frank Sinatra owns the rights to this. Okay. If they make a sequel, he has to refuse it. Hmm. Like, he has first dibs on this movie. So Frank Sinatra uh, obviously passed on it he was he was a little long in the tooth at that point even though uh the gentleman uh his name was leland in uh in the novel and in the detective uh leland was written older in in what became mm-hmm. you know die hard so maybe possibly maybe sort of i doubt it but you know in some <laughs> alternate universe there is a die hard movie starring <laughs> Starring Frank Sinatra, Old Blue Eyes. So um, he passed on it, and then they were officially read, you know, able to cast Bruce Willis, right. and they were able to retool it, and they changed the guy's name from Leland to McLean and and all these different things. But uh, the the basic beats of the movie are 
from the book, it's it's pretty much the same, except the older guy is going to visit his daughter, not his wife. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to make amends. But there is a guy named Gruber in there and <laughs> and uh, you're a European terrorist and, and all things <laughs> like that. So so that's just a little bit of the history kind of leading into Die Hard. I think it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, you know? it is. It's very cool. And, you know, especially when you add in the Frank Sinatra stuff and then the action movie mm-hmm. stuff and where this was. And, and you're still, this is 31 years ago and we're still still feeling the influence of Die Hard yes. on movies. You know, it's great. So let's start with it. What do you think of Die Hard? Oh, this movie, this is this has always been one of my favorite movies, not just Christmas movies. Just movies. <laughs> but movies in general. It's so much fun. I like, I like, I love action movies to begin with. But like you said, this one feels different and it's just so much fun to watch and so entertaining. I love it. Yeah, it's got a lot going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the screenplay by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza is miraculous. Yeah. It's absolutely miraculous. They set up everything in the first act of this movie. I mean everything. Yeah. John McClane, even the little bit at the beginning, which serves as a prologue when the plane comes in. Okay. The plane comes in and the guy says, hey, you know, uh, if you don't like flying, when you get where you're going, you know, ball up your uh, toes, you know, yeah. on the carpet. That plays into the <laughs> end of the movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, the gold watch that Holly has plays into the end of the movie. Argyle, the limo driver, everything <laughs> plays into the end of the movie. Everything is so just well set up. Exactly. You know, there. The problem, uh, the heartbeat of the movie is really established there, too. What I, what I like about this movie is it's not a shoot 'em up movie. There are legitimate stakes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the screenplay and the way that John McTiernan frames things, because did you notice what McTiernan was doing with Bruce Willis? How tiny he would be in these frames? Mm-hmm. And then when he was in the frame, He's to one side. There's always a lot of negative space with Bruce Willis in this movie. And when you see him, a lot of times he's you're looking at him from an angle. Mm -hmm. You know, there's never, uh, you know, he's always very tiny, which is what this is. You know, he I mean, John McClane is literally in over his head, (laughs) you know, for the for the entire movie. But um, I think the screenplay does such a good job of setting this up and then setting up what John McClane wants and then setting up what uh, Alan Rickman's Hans Gruber wants. And it's amazing. The hero and the villain in this are two of the greatest pairings in movie history. Bruce Willis is John McClane and Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber is maybe the greatest single hero villain mm-hmm. pairing. Yeah. You know, we're going to talk a lot more about Alan Rickman because I have, I have some things to say I th- okay. about Alan Rickman's performance <laughs> here, but you like this movie, and and I know this you know this is not a first time watch for you. Definitely not a first time <laughs> watch for me. What keeps you coming back to this movie? I think just uh, everything about it. It 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 kind of just pulls you in instantly. And I just you, you mentioned that kind of it's not a shoot 'em up movie. It's there's a a literal purpose, like life or death situation that's right kind of unfolding through it. And I like watching that play out. And I love the cast. I love the story. I love the like he's the way it's set up. I like the, the point of view that the he's The story. The story is what is so great here yeah. because it's so human. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's going out to, you know, and if you have not seen Die Hard, you're please please just go watch it right now. <laughs> You know, if you don't like it, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to refund your money, but you're going to love it, you know. <laughs> if you don't like it, something's wrong. Something's with wrong you. with you, yeah. <laughs> um 
it, it, you know, he's going out to see the wife. Mm-hmm. And then this awful thing happens. And it's, it's you know, we, we're so uh, used to seeing these days these Marvel movies and these superhero movies where it's like this end of the world thing. And this guy is literally just trying to survive. Yeah. You know, and then get his wife and those people out of there. But his his reason, you know, raison d'etre, as they call it, you know, he is survive. And he's more than happy to sit back and let the LAPD handle it mm-hmm. once they get on the case, although they show themselves to be rather incompetent. <laughs> right. But uh, everything he does in this movie is serving his survival. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to play to hero. And I wanted to say this about John McClane. We were talking about the uh, the action movie stars of the 80s. The closest that I would compare him to is Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. There's a reluctance, I think, in both of them. Do yeah. you, do you I, see I, that? I can see that, yeah. Because, you know, Indy's not doing things to be heroic. Right. You know, John McClane is definitely not doing things to be heroic. He's doing things to survive, to, to literally, yeah. you know, make it through the night. Exactly. So <laughs> I want to make a point about this movie before we get into the characters here. And that is, and I want to see if you agree with me here. I really feel that Die Hard is a Western. I agree with you. What do you see when I, when I say this is a Western? What what elements are you seeing? There, there are so many elements. The way it's set up, you had you had texted me some things too to watch for. Yeah, and I can't remember exactly what you said. Well, the hero rides in the town. True. He uh, he goes into the town and he meets up with the lady, and then the bandits show up to rob the bank, <laughs> yeah. and then the hero you know uh, saves the lady and he. You know, stops the bandits, and then he rides off into the in. in well, it's still nighttime, but you know, he yeah. rides off into the sunset at the end in the, in the yeah. form of a limo. Yeah, driven by Argyle, the limo driver, <laughs> played by Deborah White. But um, no, and not only that though, the way that these characters are cut, and they mm-hmm. refer to McClane as cowboy mm-hmm. so many times yep. in this movie that is that's not an accident, right? You know, right? And and the way that uh, you know, kind of. You know, they talk about cowboy justice and things like that. You know, he's he's flying by the seat of his pants, and he even says "yippee ki yay." You know, <laughs> with a slight little twist, slight little slight. twist, slight little twist. <laughs> One of the greatest movie lines and comebacks <laughs> of all time. So, well, Bruce Willis. We talked about Bruce Willis when we did our episode on the Sixth Sense. Bruce Willis, uh, one of your favorites, mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Let me tell you. Uh, I saw this movie on video. I was ten years old. My parents were very cool, and they let me watch it. They they knew I could I could handle right. this. And my God, was that was that a nerve wracking <laughs> night watching this movie? Because, I mean, you never know. You know, I've seen this movie. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it since then. And I was telling you on the way in. I said, the elevator shaft scene still gets me. Yes. I'm still nervous for him when he's when he's trying to negotiate that elevator shaft. And I love the way that this all plays out. I still get as excited, you know, as I did the first time mm-hmm. watching this. But let me tell you about how we saw Bruce Willis back then. You know, Bruce Willis is an action hero. You know, that's where mm-hmm. he, that's his bread and butter in the <laughs> movies, right? Because you're, uh, you, I have a few years on you. You grew up with him the, as the movie star. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you associate him with the action genre? Is that where you go to with him? For the most part, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. he's one of the big names yeah. in that genre. and. and like I said, made his bones, you know, in yeah. in that genre. He's also a really good actor. That's the thing. He you is. Know, he, he never got pigeonholed in that genre. But 
He was the guy on TV. He played a, a private investigator named David Addison on a show called Moonlighting, which if you're out there and you've never seen Moonlighting, we talked about Twin Peaks and the way that Twin Peaks kind of reworked television. Mm-hmm. Moonlighting was doing that too in 85, just just mashing up genres. And it was a detective show, but it wasn't a detective show. Mm-hmm. And they'd have musical shows and, and you know, fantasy shows were uh, – uh, they were in black and white, like old film noirs, and they were it was just an amazing show, and it made him a star because nobody knew who the hell Bruce Willis was <laughs> before that show premiered in uh, I think February of '85, and he was paired with Sybil Shepherd on that show, and he was this genial guy who would you know bop along and sing, and Bruce had a top ten record you know uh, singing uh, "Respect Yourself," a cover of the Staple Sisters uh, uh, song from the '70s. He did that with the Pointer Sisters and. You know, he, he we didn't see him as mm-hmm. this this action hero. Right. You know, and I remember distinctly, you know, ten years old or whatever it was, seeing this for the first time. Just like, no, he ain't gonna make it out of here. <laughs> like this is like David Addison. There's no way David Addison David Addison makes it out of here. But a lot of the things that Bruce Willis does as an actor and did as David Addison on that show translate into this role and i know you're not as intimately familiar with moonlighting as i am but you are pretty intimately familiar with bruce willis's work and i really cannot see anybody else playing john mcclain so let's i can't either let's talk about john mcclain just the character what what are your thoughts on john mcclain i think he's really cool i think he uh i think he's kind of you know he's he's a man's man for what it is you know being the police officer but i feel like he's he's got Something deep down, you know, I mean, he's got feelings that, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. And and I think that I don't want to call it a sensitivity. No, me neither. That's why uh, I'm you know, kind of trying to obviously, word it obviously he's there to fix the marriage. And right. I think, I think, you know, uh, obviously he cares enough about it. Obviously he can. Yes. But See, he hit he's the nail still on the head. He's still on the big fence. enough to take on this challenge of saving everyone. You right. Know? <laughs> right. The thing that strikes me about John McClane, there's two things that, that, that hit me, is A, he's a reluctant hero. Mm-hmm. And we, we mentioned that enough earlier with he's doing these things to stay alive. He does not want to be doing these <laughs> exactly. things one bit and is more than content to lay back and, and let the other guys mm-hmm. you know handle it. Um, and he really only takes action when he absolutely has to take action. The other thing about John McClane that maybe gets overlooked sometimes is he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's he's not this this, you know, knight in shining armor. Bruce Willis, we said this before, he's a schlubby kind of guy. You know, I know you think he's 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 a good-looking guy. Yeah. I, you you've said that before, but he's not the conventional for me, you know, right. you know, leading guy. You know, he's um yeah, he kind of looks like my uncle in a lot of ways. <laughs> if you look at pictures of my uncle from from back then and look at Bruce Willis, you know, because I was seeing my uncle when I'm watching John McClane on screen, you know, so even funny. down to the hairline, you know. And that's the other thing that Bruce brings to this. You know, Bruce is losing his hair. Right. You know, how often do you see men losing their hair on screen? Very rare. You know, so there's this, but the sensitivity might not be the right word, but the right word no. might be vulnerability yeah. that he brings, you know. Because he wants things to work out with Holly. Right. <laughs> he, he, you know, and he also gets hurt. He bleeds in this movie. Mm-hmm. You don't see Stallone and Schwarzenegger bleeding and, mm-hmm. you know, and hurting their movies. If, mm-hmm. if, if they do, 
get hurt. It's like a cartoon. It's, you know, there's the explosion. They're black in the face, yeah. you know, because from <laughs> yeah. the explosion, then they're on their merry way. No, John McClane goes through some actual, like, physical punishment yeah. during this, and he gets taxed to the emotional and physical limits, yeah. you know. I just think he's the perfect guy I think so to too. play this. And I don't know if that's on the page or if that's him, you know, but whoever yeah. decided to put him in this movie, I, I really don't know if they realize how genius a move this really yeah, was. Yeah, go ahead. I'm interrupting. Just, just because, I mean, from the opening moment to the end, he is John McClane. Well, I mean, I, was gonna say, I feel like that's how he is in most of his films. I feel like... Whatever he is supposed to bring to it, he does. And he's always believable. And you always kind of, I don't know, you kind of. In, in this movie, John McClane really sets the template for Bruce Willis's, mm-hmm. you know, career. Yeah. You know, all the things that people like about Bruce Willis are in this movie. The, the action role, the, the everyman role, the wisecracks. And I want to talk yep. about the wisecracks because this movie, as hardcore as this movie is, and the stakes could not be any higher. <laughs> has a real sense of humor, but it's not a comedy, and the mm-hmm. comedy never comes at the expense of the characters. And most of the comedy comes from uh, Bruce Willis talking to himself yeah. in a lot of scenes, you know, in the wisecracks. And for me, that's what really kind of humanizes John McClane in yeah. this movie. Is And it starts with when he, he uh, survives the elevator shaft, and he gets, <laughs> he gets into the air duct, and he, you know, get, busts out the lighter, and <laughs> Come out to the coast, we'll get together, we'll have a few laughs. You know, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. And it's almost like the absurdity of the situation has just yeah, started just, weighing yeah. on him. <laughs> you know? You, you almost feel like you're not even watching somebody act. It's like you're just watching this man for real, you know? <laughs> yeah, he, he really Survive. brings that realism exactly. to, to John McClane. Yeah. But everything that people like about Bruce Willis is in this movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's done... Uh, all kinds of films and you can trace everything back to Die Hard. But one thing he does in Die Hard that I've always admired about him, and we talk about this in our Sixth Sense episode, is his quietness and his stillness because he is not loud throughout this movie. Mm, Not at all. No. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's, there's moments where he yells, obviously what I'm saying is, but, but the, but the, uh, he's in, he's in second gear almost, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. again, it has to do with the character and all that, but, there really is some great comedy in this. And we're going to talk about two of the more comedic characters uh, uh, here at the end. But uh, the, the comedy, the jokes are not there to be to be jokes. They're there because yeah. it's coming directly from the situation and from the characters. And that, to me, I've said it before on this show, is always the recipe for success. Yeah, you I know, agree. You know, that's, it doesn't matter what genre you're in. Uh, Star Trek, some of the great Star Trek movies, you know, it's character-driven comedy yeah. you know, and not jokes. Exactly, and this, this really, this really, really gets it. So the cowboy John McClane, he's in the building. Let's talk really briefly about uh, why he's in the building. He's in the building. Uh, he is uh, dealing with his uh, separated. They're separated. Holly yes. Gennaro McClane, played by the very lovely Bonnie Bedelia. Now I'm gonna hit you with a little factoid here. Okay, Bonnie Bedelia does have a tie to another Christmas movie. What's that? One of your other favorite Christmas movies, Home Alone. Mm-hmm. She is the aunt. Of Macaulay Culkin. Really? Yes, she is. Huh. She's Kevin McAllister's aunt. Okay. As Michael Caine would say, I'll bet you didn't know that. <laughs> I actually didn't know that. <laughs> I'll bet you didn't know that. And now you do. I, I, now I do, now yes. You 
You should listen to his show. I bet you didn't know that, Aaron, on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia, what do you think of Bonnie Bedelia as Holly? And what do you think of Holly? Because I see both of them as, you know, in arguments when it comes to love and romance. Uh, both of them, I think, have a point. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Holly? I like her. I think she's a. Uh, she could have been. She could have been written differently. I think for this, she could have been more fearful or more. What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, oh, I know. No, she like she could have. Yeah, I think oh, she I know. has a good, a good uh, toss up between her being vulnerable and tough at the same time, and the way she she is. You know, they wrote her for lack of a better term. With balls. Yeah, pretty because, much. Because, <laughs> you know, she, and she's not a ball buster. Right. But she is smart and resourceful. Yes. And, and I love her. And that's what I'm saying. I'm glad they didn't write her in a way that was, you know, the, running and screaming for her life. And Yeah, she's know, not, yeah, yeah. She's she needs very to be calm saved. And she's just, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, it's very nice to see. She needs to be saved, but not because she's a damsel in distress. She mm-hmm. needs to be saved because there's a dozen Euro trash terrorists holding, <laughs> yeah. her, holding her and her yeah. company hostage. <laughs> So, uh, no, I think she's great, and I like her resourcefulness, and I like that she's not a wilting flower, but exactly. I like that she's not, a, uh, for la- again, for lack of a better word, uh, a ball buster, overpowered. Mm-hmm. She, she's feminine and strong, and I love that yeah. about her. She's a gr- I think she's a great character. I, I really, think she is, too. I really do. Can you see why John McClane married her? <laughs> yeah, I can see. I yeah. Can see it. Isn't that the thing? Are you rooting for them to get back together? Yes. Can you see her argument in that in that argument that they're having? Can you see his side of it? Because I can yeah. I can see both sides. Yeah, I, can, I think yeah. it's kind of sad. Yeah, you know? I think so too. Who do you think's right and wrong? Ooh, I don't know. I I gotta <laughs> go with Holly. I think John could have been a little more understanding yeah. with that because I think I think you can tell that she's really good at what she does. True. You know. Yeah. But I can also see where he's coming from, you, you know, pe- just packing up and leaving. Yeah. But this John McClane's kind of an ass, though. That's that's, that's the is, point. Yeah. Of, that's the point of this. Yeah. So, well, we have the reason why he's there, and let's talk about the reason why he has to do what he does throughout the night. The very late and the very great Alan Rickman gives one of the all-time great performances as a villain in this movie. And Faith, this is his first movie. Really. This is his very first film. Wow. <laughs> he was a stage actor. He's a trained actor. But this was his very first film. Now, wow. he was up for a film in 1983. He would have made his film debut five years earlier in a little motion picture called Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, playing the commander of the Death Star, Moff Jared. That appears in several uh, scenes in that movie. But no, he didn't get that. They Because uh, the movie gods wanted him to make his debut here <laughs> as Hans Gruber. Uh, the leader of the robbers, because they're not terrorists, they're robbers. <laughs> they're robbers that come into this party. And what do you think of Alan Rickman in his screen debut here? Because let me go back to what I was saying about Bruce Willis and Moonlighting. Okay, so you have a little bit of baggage attached with Bruce Willis. You know, that's that guy from Moonlighting. You know, mm-hmm. he ain't going to make this. We had no idea who this guy was. So imagine seeing this for the first time going, who the hell <laughs> is that guy? <laughs> Man, I mean... I had no idea this was his first film. So taking that into yeah. consideration, I'm I even more blown away. I think it might be the away. greatest movie debut be- yeah. of all time. A lot of people, uh, I can't remember if it was Rear Window. It, Grace Kelly's screen debut was in one of those films, a Hitchcock film. 
But, I mean, my God, Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. He's amazing. And like you said, I, have no, I had no idea that was his first film. Very first that film. That is incredible. And this put him on a path of playing villains. He played mm-hmm. uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham in the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie after this. He was in a great, almost kind of forgotten Tom Selleck Western called Quigley Down Under. He played a land baron in Australia in that movie. Uh, he played in the Harry Potter films. He was kind of an anti-hero, it turns out, but kind of a, a villainous mm-hmm. uh, antagonist, uh, Professor Snape. This guy, you know, he had that. Now, he was also very funny. He could he could, mm-hmm. he could, could do anything. And he was a – it was always when Alan Rickman showed up, I was very excited. Right. You know, because he was so great, you yeah. know, in, in everything. He was in the another great Christmas movie, Love Actually. And he's wonderful in that with Emma Thompson. They play husband and wife in that. And I feel like he left us a little too soon. And Yes passed away a few years ago it was a big loss i was i was very upset about mm-hmm. that but uh his work lives on and it starts right here so in crazy. die hard so you like him don't I you do <laughs> you almost want to root for him but i mean you, you know you don't want to what you want to because he's so good <laughs> i i just faith will tell you i just got very excited because my next question was do you find yourself rooting for him yes. a little bit you know like a little bit because you're like wow this man i mean he's good <laughs> I like everything that he does in this movie from the and and we were talking about the comedy. Hans has some great comedic moments in this movie and my favorite one is when he's talking to the police and he's giving them the quote unquote list of demands and he says, you know, and I want my uh, my brothers from the the nine members of the Asian Dawn Freed and Alexander Gudnoff is Carl's like Asian Dawn and he's like I read about them in time, you know. Yes. <laughs> you know. That that great like, you know, <laughs> but some really, really great standout uh, comedic moments. Even the uh, when they're in the elevator with Takagi, you know, and he says, uh, uh, asking about the suit, you know, John Lloyd of London or whatever it is, you know, I could talk about men's fashion and <laughs> classical education all day. You know, and it's so great. He pulls such a rookie do on the audience. Yeah. You know, you think he's this terrorist taking over the party because he comes in. And how great is that scene when he walks in? Were you thinking of anything? Because there's an image that stays with me when he walks in and he's standing on the steps and they get everybody's looking up at him. He's got his little book. Hmm. And he's sitting there reading out of the book and he's when he's addressing them for the first time and he comes in, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. He looks like a preacher. When he's standing there in front of the congregation, it's like he's reading from, you know, the Bible or something. I can see that. And he comes in. And says, you know, the Nakatomi will be a corporation, you know, has this legacy agreed and whether it will be taught a real lesson in power. And I say, you think they're there to make this political point? No. <laughs> Hans is there to take $600 million in, in <laughs> negotiable bear bonds from the safe, you know. <laughs> and, and he's so just good and he never plays it uh, for menace. Mm-mm. You know, he plays it like he's the star of his own movie. <laughs> You know, like he's the hero of, of his own movie. You know, I mean, this is one of the great pairings of of it, uh, of in, in movie. Dome. It really is. Because you have the guy who has the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're so yin yang. You know, <laughs> yeah. here's here's the guy who has the plan. Here's a guy who has no plan. You know, his plan is survive. You know, <laughs> yeah. here's a guy educated, well to do. Here's a guy, you know, he's a policeman from from New York. You right. know, this. You wouldn't imagine John McClane, you know, has a classical education or or an appreciation of men's fashions, <laughs> you know. Um, he's he's absolutely wonderful. And again, like I said, he left us way too early and everything. Did you have a favorite scene with Hans? 
I don't know if it's a favorite scene with Hans, but it's a a scene that I keep thinking of. It's actually two scenes because we were talking about the story, and I think it's really cool how it was set up, how John McClane is changing, and and, and it starts right there that he takes his shoes off, and then it leads up to him, like, shoot the glass because he knows he's going to step on it, and you can see where his trail of blood goes. I think that's so cool. You know, like... Yeah, the way everything is set up. Yeah, Going back to to the... uh, It's so cool. To the uh, the Susan Stewart uh, screenplay, just everything's set up. Yeah, everything know? is just set up like that. Yeah. It's just really. I cool. uh, I like the moment where he uh, where he meets John McClane and he and he pretends he's Bill Clay. Yes, I, I, I really I like that. I really like that a lot. Um, yeah, Hans but, is. But can I say all of it? I mean, I think yeah, the movie's just so good. I mean, even outside of an action movie, I think just the characters alone and the story is so good without it you know without if you don't like action yeah. movies i think you can still like this movie for for what it is and who's in it and i have a i have a friend of mine who had never seen this movie until the past few years and uh now she was aware of it and it was just she's not an action movie fan mm-hmm. and that's fine right you know but uh oh i got a call from her she watched die hard for the first time <laughs> and you know, I was my my thing was I told you so. I told you to watch this movie. <laughs> Just the nicest things to say about Die Hard, like right? oh my god. And I said, well, how, what are you going to do now? She goes, well, I want to watch that one again. <laughs> and I want to watch the other one. So, but um, it's like Joey Tribbiani. I got Die Hard. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I feel I feel that way. Let's talk about uh, uh, Hans Gruber's uh, buddies. Uh, two of them in particular. We have Theo, played by Clarence Gilliard Jr. He's the uh, tech wizard for mm-hmm. for the group, and then uh, Alexander Gudnov. He was wonderful in a Harrison Ford movie called Witness. He was a ballet dancer. He's also no longer with us. He left us too early. He plays the re- revenge, you know, seething Carl. What do you think of uh, Hans' crew here? And you could talk about the other guys too, but they're all they're weird, (laughs) you know. Like they're all so different. But again, you're almost rooting for them in a weird way, but then you're not, you know. They they all have personality. (laughs) They they do. Now there are the nameless henchmen, you know, but but he does have this little posse around him that that is so like you know memorable and (laughs) and watching it yesterday for the show, I. I was I kept being hit with that feeling of kind of rooting for these guys like I want them to get the money because they're so excited when they go into the vault, you know, <laughs> like, like, don't kill anybody. Just go ahead and take the money. But, you know, <laughs> I'm rooting for you. I'm pulling. Bit. I'm pulling for you, buddy. <laughs> pulling for you. I want to talk about before we get into my favorite character in the movie. And I think maybe your favorite, too, possibly. Uh, I want to talk about the score by Michael Kamen. What do you think of the music here? Because I think this is a great score, and I, I want to drop so. some knowledge on people that may or may not know. Drop it. Okay. Ode to Joy plays throughout this entire score. It is playing when you first see Hans Gruber. It serves as his theme. Why Kamen picked it, I couldn't get any info on it. Uh, definitive info, but two things kind of spring to mind. Ode to Joy, Christmas time, of course. Mm-hmm. That would make you think of Christmas time. But Hans Gruber is German. Beethoven was German. Here you go. So he's marrying these <laughs> these two characters together. And uh, I love it. And when I yeah. discovered that a few years ago, when I was really listening to the music, mm-hmm. and I went, my God, it's not just you know that they play the actual Ode to Joy in the film. No. When he walks in, you hear on the cello. You know, that was my approximation of a cello for all of you out there. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> and uh, you're welcome. <laughs> But uh, I love that little touch in the uh, in the music. And Cayman, 
would score the first three Die Hard movies. And in uh, the second Die Hard movie, he would use the piece Finlandia by Sibelius. And in the third movie, he would uh, use When Johnny Comes Marching Home. So each of the Cayman scored Die Hard films has a kind of classical piece mm-hmm. at its center, which everything springs off of. And I really think it works yeah, for the movie. Yeah, I think that's movie. a really cool choice. I think it's it's different, you know. And I do associate the Ode to Joy with Die Hard. When I hear mm-hmm. it, I, I'm thinking... <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, of John McClane and that night at Nakatomi. Ooh. <laughs> so let's get to it. Um, do we want to talk about our favorite character? Or do we want to talk about the, uh, the two great assholes of 80s cinema before we get to, before we get there? <laughs> whatever, whatever you think. Let's go ahead and mention them. We have two of the great assholes in 80s cinema in this movie. Uh, one of them uh, was featured on an episode uh, that we did here on Ghostbusters. That is uh, William Atherton. He played Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. He plays Richard Dick Thornburg here. We have Paul Gleason. He is best remembered for playing the principal in The Breakfast Club. He is uh, Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson here. <laughs> Uh, both of these guys, a lot of humor comes from these guys that we were talking about. Yes. Dwayne Robinson, especially Paul Gleason, I think has some of the funniest lines in this movie. Like when Hans Gruber falls out the window, boy, I hope that wasn't a hostage, <laughs> you know, and when right. the FBI guys blow up, you know, uh, we're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Just, um, that kind of really grounds the movie. I think, you know, it, the humor is so good here, you yeah. know? Because the tension and the stakes are so high in the building, you know, you got some really great. Uh, like you said, the humor feels like it's from the character, not like let's make a funny joke just for the sake of it. You know? Yeah, because Dwayne Robinson's a, a he's an idiot. <laughs> he's <much>. an idiot. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> he's an idiot. Now Richard Thornburg, not as much of an idiot, but uh, narcissistic ass. Yeah. You know, yeah. and William Atherton must be the nicest man in the world because he plays these roles. So, so well, he's done it in Top Secret with Val Kilmer. He did it in Ghostbusters. He uh, he reprised his role in Die Hard Two as Richard Peck, and I've seen him in some other things. And he he plays that hard on role just so well. And like I said, it really leads me to believe he's one of the nicest men in the world. <laughs> you know, um, right. what, what do you think of these two guys? I I, I love them. I, I love, love everybody. Them too. I, I mean, love everybody in this movie. I do too. I mean, that's what I said. This I feel like the cast is so well done. That's the whole separate reason to love this movie because the cast is just so great cast is really good well we say the best for last i think uh apologies to bruce willis and alan rickman as much as i mean i I adore (laughs) both of them but there is a performance in this movie um if alan rickman and bruce willis are the glue of this movie you know or, or what this movie is uh, we'll call them like the brain center and the you know the kind of kind of root chakra and the and the top chakra. The heartbeat of this movie though is Sergeant Al Powell, played by Reginald Vell Johnson. You mean Carl Winslow? I mean Carl Winslow. <laughs> he would go on to great fame uh, as TV's Carl Winslow. Um, Reggie uh, Reggie also uh, popped up in Ghostbusters. If you remember, he. Yep. Um, he appeared in the uh, in the jail. He he brought them. He was the policeman nope. there. So Reginald Vell Johnson apparently has made a career out of playing <laughs> policeman and and done it very well. I adore this man. Uh, I'm talking about the actor. Yeah. I grew up with him in this film. I grew up with him on Family Matters. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I I was of that age. I was watching Family Matters, and I think Reggie Vell Johnson. Uh, I don't think he's acting sometimes. Yeah. 
I think he, I think the man really is a big, warm personality. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you uh, think I would of that? Totally agree with you there. So, Al Powell, Al Powell <laughs> has a, you know, redemptive arc mm-hmm. in this movie, and uh, let's let's get to it. Al Powell, uh, he's working a desk. He used to be, and I get the idea that he was a very good street cop at one time. Yes, he's not doing that anymore, nope. and it's pretty tragic why he's not doing that anymore and i have a feeling that this movie were made today and please out there don't get any ideas about remaking die hard it doesn't need to happen no <laughs> yes uh, it, i believe it had kind of come up a little bit but uh Mm-mm. uh I, I i don't know that his backstory would be the same today with you know some of the things that mm-hmm. have gone yeah. on in the world but uh al Powell uh shot a kid mm-hmm. you know a 13 year old and 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 it hurts when you hear that story in yeah. the movie it's 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 tragic. It's absolutely tragic. I know. And Bruce Willis's character uh, feels it, you know, when mm-hmm. he, he's at his lowest and he tells him that. But uh, he's on a redemptive arc here. And Al Powell, when I saw this movie for the first time, and this is before Family Matters, so you know, this is kind of an introduction here to, to <laughs> Reginald Vell Johnson. Now you, you recognized him from things like Ghost. You, oh, that's mm-hmm. the guy from Ghost. But you just remembered his face because he's it's such a exactly it's such a face, you know. <laughs> And I fell in love with Al. And what is it about Al that, because I know he's your, is he your favorite character in this movie? He's definitely one of my favorites, yeah. What is it that you love about Al Powell so much? I don't know. He just feels, like you said, he's got a warm personality and it feels real. He feels like whatever he's bringing to that role is really him. And he just seems really inviting and he'll listen to you. You know, I don't know. He He, just. He seems like a decent man mm-hmm. and the thing is in this movie you have john Mc- now john mcclain is the protagonist there's no gray area with john mcclain you know john mcclain is the hero right. you know but like we said he's kind of an asshole he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of an asshole hans gruber he's the villain of the piece you know um with so much conflict in the movie it's so nice to have a character that's just heart yeah you know and and uh, sidekick, you know, he becomes sidekick. You know, he's the voice that keeps John McClane going. I don't think John McClane makes it out of that building without being able to talk no. to Sergeant Al Powell. I was online and I was reading some some comments about that, looking at different scenes with Al and uh, and John McClane. Mm-hmm. I like to see what people say right. on the YouTube sometimes. And uh, somebody made the comment that you know he doesn't get out of the building without Al. And somebody mm-hmm. said, well, maybe a case could be made. What do you think about that? You know, I don't think he gets out I, without I don't think Al. so either. Regardless if, you know, he would have been shot or anything. I feel like he just would have lost it and broke down and wouldn't yeah. have stayed as strong mentally. Yeah, with, because Al, Al not only brings the cavalry, mm-hmm. you know, with him, but uh, also helps John keep his sanity. Exactly. And, and what a wonderful partner he has there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I said, Reg, Reginald Vell Johnson, I, I feel like he probably now, of course, hindsight 2020, he probably should have been nominated for an award for this. Yeah. You know, uh, actually, all three of those guys, <laughs> uh, Rickman, Willis, and uh, and Reggie Vell Johnson, for sure. But uh, I think he's absolutely wonderful in so this too. movie. And to me, that was always what I remembered about that movie uh-huh. was him talking me to too. Al me too, and him actually. calling him partner and cowboy and mm-hmm. you know the way that that all you know as we said you know this is a western he's the sidekick you know yeah. he's the sheriff yeah. you know in, in a lot of ways yeah he really bringing is. the cavalry so let's talk about Al's big scene <laughs> in the movie there's two moments with I love every moment Al has in this in this movie but uh the two at the end that are so touching. You know, one of them's touching. One of them just makes you want to stand up and cheer 
you know. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to say this before we get to it. Uh, I think the best bit of acting in this movie is done by Reggie Vell Johnson in one scene with no words. Mm-hmm. So my favorite moment in this movie that still gets me emotional. Yeah, I know, what you're, I know where we're going. Because uh, as a man, you know, and, and I know females have this too, but this, this is a real manly, masculine mm-hmm. thing. When John and Al meet for the first time, that that is really something. I don't know that is really something. The way that they uh, they see each other, you know, and I know movie magic and all, you know, they see each other. And, uh, but I really do think those guys would know. Yeah, and and they were looking for each other and that that smile that he has. But that hug is one of the great manly movie moments ever. Manly I think. movie moments. Manly movie moments. <laughs> what do you, what are you what's going through your head when you're watching these two I, guys I'm, hug? I'm right there with you. You know, you it's it's that triumph moment for McLean and I feel like almost crying. Yeah. Close to it and then the laugh yeah. and the release. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You just you know it's 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 so great to see. And especially, you know, Al's you know, when he when he said, please tell, you know, my wife a message, he's like, tell her yourself. And I feel like it was yeah. just that moment of just, you know, yeah. all come in full circle. And and, it was so nice. And the moment, too, with, uh, and it, I don't think it, it was said to uh, make him feel better, you know, when, mm-hmm. when uh, he has his moment with Dwayne Robinson with, you know, with, with, the, with the big C4 explosion. We're going to talk about our favorite moments, but uh, that's one of them for me. Um, you know. And Robinson's not very nice to him on the CB, and he says, "Yeah, I'm feeling pretty underappreciated." And Al says, "Hey, I love you." <laughs> you know, yeah. And I think McLean needed to hear that yeah. at that moment. And I think he meant it too because he understood what that guy was going through. Right. And that tragic backstory again—the way things are set up in this movie—to this day, <laughs> when I see it, it is so. You know, I, I cheer it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Carl comes out. We think Alexander Gudnov's Carl is dead. He comes out, and he's got the gun. And uh, what does that say about Carl? He could have walked away into the night. He had to have that moment of revenge. He yep. couldn't let it go. And he's bringing the, uh, his gun to bear. McLean gets down on the ground with Holly. And then Carl kills Carl. And then Carl <laughs> kills Carl. <laughs> but that moment with Reggie Vell Johnson mm-hmm. on his face, and you can see everything playing across oh, it. I know. The the he just saved his new friend. The regret of what happened, yeah. You know, it, it's it's not a, he, and he's not acting it out like heroic. It's it's that was his moment. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, and he saved his friend, and that moment works because of Bruce Willis's reaction to it when he looks that little look up, and he knows when they look at each other, they know what it meant, and it's so good. I know. You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's so good. This movie is just so good. It's perfect from top to bottom. We talk about sometimes that there are no perfect movies. This this is this is in the running. It really is. This is in the run. And you know what else we said was a perfect movie? Was Predator. Yeah. And Predator came out the year before, directed by the same man. McTiernan was really on a roll yeah. here. He's he's really good with just the way things are laid out in story. You know, I mean, so many action movies, they could be good, but they can lack that story element, you know, where it's just or, or, gunfire galore and, and I there's love, one purpose and the characters kind of yeah, dissolve out. Yeah, you know, like they're not, yeah. they don't stand out and the story's not as, you know, oh, wow, you know, but I think... The it, story is serving the characters here. Exactly. The characters are not serving the story. That's a good lesson. And somebody made this point about the new Star Wars films, especially The Last Jedi. 
we've talked about our problems with the new Star Wars movies on this on this show before. I'm not going into that. All I'm going to say is The Last Jedi, the problems that I and a lot of people, and I know you had these mm-hmm. problems too, is that the characters are serving the story, you know, not the other way around. You know, right. the there it's the it's the antithesis of die hard you know things happen in that movie because they have to you know the characters you know uh you know the story's not coming from the characters right the characters are coming from the story that's what i wanted to say about star wars the characters are coming from the story so they're going in going this is going to happen this is going to happen and i think that's a bad way to tell a story and most movies that i have problems with that's what the problem is mm-hmm. is that is that you know the uh the story's not serving the characters absolutely that's you know? that's a big and, problem for me too and that's a problem with star wars because you could have had some really great characters and you have oscar isaac there what a wasted opportunity with him because mm-hmm. he's yeah, i know you like him a lot don't yeah. you I, I think he's great and he's awesome but uh but then look at something like die hard look at something like predator the way that the story is servicing you know these characters you have these really yeah. interesting characters put in these positions and, and it's great the way we were talking about Hans and uh, John kind of being a yin yang, completing each other in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the European foreigner, the American cowboy. You know, it's very interesting. It's an interesting watch, and it's still so exciting. You know, after yeah. all these years, and I think that's a real testament to how good the movie is. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the movie. I still get nervous at parts. <laughs> you know, and then I still look forward to to so many of the parts. But it's I think it's I think it's a masterpiece. I really do. I think so too. It's. I'm re- I want to watch it again. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Well, we uh, we're going to take a very short break now. In this break, we have faith a little bit of music. Is that so? It is so. What do we got? Well, let me set the scene for you. All right. Our good friend Cade. Mm-hmm. He was on our Death Proof show. Uh, great friend to both of us. Great friend to the show. And he and I uh, collaborate on uh, screenplay projects together and music, and uh, have played music together for years and. While back, we said, wouldn't it be great if there was a Die Hard musical? <laughs> I think it's a great idea. That's a good idea. So what I have here is a special Christmas treat, depending on whether or not you like bad singing. Because this is this is not very good singing, I don't think. This is me. <laughs> I did this. I did this in about 15 or 20 minutes. I wrote and wrote it. Wrote it. Wrote it. I wrote it. I wrote this. <laughs> recorded it. You know, all in about 20 minutes. This was just a demo, and I, I never really did anything else with it. But uh it doesn't even have a name. It's just, we'll call it Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> we'll just call it Die Hard, yeah. So this is a little Christmas treat uh, from, you know, what may one day possibly be Die Hard the musical. If not, <laughs> it's a good laugh for you. And uh, I'm just going to give you a little spoiler warning. There's a, you know, I don't think the singing's very good, but you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> so... All right, I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side of this monstrosity. And maybe I'll get my holly back 
It's Christmas. Just ball your toes. It's Christmas. I love your missionero. She got a new job, so she took the kids. The past six months, I've hit the skids. It's Christmas. The scumbags will wait. It's Christmas. McLean's got a date with eight. In California, here I come. You know I hate to fly. Ooh, it'll be alright. It's Nakatomi tonight Yippee-ki-yay all around the world I brought this bear for my baby girl It's Christmas John, don't be late It's Christmas You've got a date with fate What could go wrong tonight? Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. <laughs> it's a great segue, Faith. <laughs> I know. It's a great segue into favorites. I'm just going to go ahead right here at the uh, outset of this and say my favorite moments in Die Hard are all of them. That, that was my answer. <laughs> no cheating, Faith. That was my answer. <laughs> No cheating. Uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, favorite anything from oh. Dyer because there's so many, and I don't want this could turn into a 20 minute. You I, know. I think it's exciting when he when he wraps himself up in the uh, water hose and he you know drops off the building and it explodes and yeah, there's fire. Definitely most exciting moment. Uh, Nicholas Cage would probably like that. Oh, there's fire. <laughs> Uh, most exciting moment of the movie for sure. I like when he wraps the C four into the office chair and shoots it down the uh, elevator shaft. <laughs> yes. Take this under advisement, jerk off. <laughs> um, I like when he's. Uh, I like when he's. Uh, you know, in the elevator shaft. I think that's. I you do. Know, that's that's pretty harrowing, as they would say. I, I like his moment in the bathroom when he's talking to Carl. Uh, not Carl. Al. Al. Carl. <laughs> Al. Carl Winslow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, we would be remiss if we did not mention the most famous line from this movie. <laughs> and in the spirit of Christmas, why the hell not? Faith, you know what that line is. You want to do it together on three? Are we, we, we going to say it all? Oh, we're saying it all. Maybe we'll, maybe, maybe we'll put a little beat, but uh, you've been warned. There's about to be some language here. On one, two, three. Yippee-ki-yay, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> We can do that better, can't we? Yeah, we actually can. One, two, three. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. motherfuckers! There we go. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like because because uh, I think of my mom because she's she loves the old westerns, and uh, my mom says that line all the time. By the way, <laughs> she says that line. It, sometimes it'll be just Yippee Kaye. Sometimes it'll be the whole thing. Uh, That's so great. No, because I grew up watching westerns with my mom. I love when he's like, uh, "Okay, cowboy." John Wayne does not get to walk off with Grace Kelly. It was Gary Cooper, asshole. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. It's 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 so good from top to bottom. It's quotable. It's um, you know, I still feel the same way watching this movie now that I did the first time I saw it. Yeah, like every time you watch it, you're never bored watching it. You know, it's just <laughs> you have so much fun watching it. It's fun to watch. It really is. Die Hard, and isn't this something we're we're finding here as we do this show? That movies that we love, uh, 
it's fun to watch them yeah. over and over. You yeah. know, I just had a little sniffle, and that makes me think of someone we didn't talk about. Hart Bachner appears as Ellis in this movie. <laughs> How much do you love Ellis? You know, that moment when he's snorting the coke on Holly's desk and McLean meets him, you know, you miss some. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good from top to bottom. I mean, uh, you know, what, what else? I get, like we said at the beginning, what else are you going to say about Die Hard except, you know, just how awesome this is and, I know. and, and the influence it's still being felt today, <laughs> you know? I know. Uh, is this your favorite Bruce Willis movie? Oh, I mean, yeah, I would say so. It's, yeah, it's very close with Sixth Sense, Sense for yeah. sure, but I, I think, yeah. yeah. I think Die Hard and The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, I think, yeah. are maybe yeah. uh, his best. Now, he's great in Pulp Fiction, you know? He, yeah. he is. He's, he's great in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> And I don't want to take anything away from that, uh, you know. I think he's great in most everything. He, yeah, you know, he, that he's for in. the most part, he is. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, you, you hit it right there with those three. I think those yeah. are the ones that you know. And Tarantino called Unbreakable the the greatest masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I think of the twenty last twenty years, and I I do not disagree, disagree. with him on that because that's a really wonderful movie. He's really good in that movie. Yeah, but uh, this is. This to me is just kind of Bruce Willis defined. Mm-hmm. This is going to show you everything he's going to be playing on and off, you know, for the yeah. for the next thirty years in his career. And uh, yeah, it's great. Now they went went on to make two, three, four, five, <laughs> five diehards. Uh, uh, didn't like the last one too much. I thought the last one was a little overkill. I don't uh, think I saw the last one. You didn't miss much. <laughs> you really didn't miss much. But uh, there are rumors that there is possibly one more. One more in the tank, and uh, I I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing him one more time. What I really would like to see happen is for them to take the detective, the the thing that we were the book we were talking about that mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra was in the movie. Uh, I would like to see them possibly do something like that, like bring it full circle and have him do a remake of the detective. That'd be cool as John McClane, and maybe do like a straight John McClane, mm-hmm. you know, older, getting ready to retire kind of thing. That'd so be really cool. I think I think it'd be neat. Yeah. I, I would like to see John McClane in something other than you know being a superhero, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is what these movies kind of devolved into. Right. But uh, yeah. they're still fun. The sequels are still fun. <laughs> and I'm telling you not to watch the last one. It's okay. It's okay. It's not. It's not my favorite. It, it kind of failed on several levels for me, but it's still worth a watch. You get to see Bruce Willis play John McClane. Yeah, at least, I mean, that's always that's a not good a time. bad day, right? <laughs> well, for him, it's a pretty bad day. Well, for him, but yeah, for yeah. the viewer, <laughs> for him, yeah, for him, it's a bad day. For us, it's it's always kind of fun. Yeah. So, Faith, do you have anything else that you would like to add about Die Hard, Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, any of the fine? gentleman and the one awesome lady that we talked about tonight i think that's it what about you that's it i would just like to uh say merry christmas i want to say merry christmas as well and uh peace on earth and goodwill toward all men women and creatures great and small very nice so (laughs) i think it's that time isn't it i think so well there it is the music time to say goodbye time to say goodbye but i'm gonna say it one more time Happy holidays to all of you out there. Thank you for your continued support of the Late Night Fright. And Merry Christmas and safe travels if you're out and about. And uh, you know, many happy returns on a very happy new year. 2020 is going to be a good year. I got a feeling. Yes. I got a feeling, Faith. <laughs> Me too. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. leash. See you on the other side.
the cast and the crew of the Late Night Fright wish you a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy Kwanzaa, a Happy New Year, and any denominational holiday we are not aware of here in Cozy Corner. Thank you for tuning in for Die Hard. We'll see you next time. Yippee-ki-yay.